listening to sermons from South Point Fellowship, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpointfellowship.org. Amen. Well, four and a half years ago, Friday afternoon, we got this call that we were going to be holding our daughter on Monday morning. And that was a really crazy weekend for us. I immediately uh, drove home from work and we rushed to Babies or Us to, to start a registry. And it felt like we went to a bazillion stores that weekend. I really uh, couldn't tell you all what we did that weekend though. Um, I do know one thing though. I know that every single place that we went and every single person that we met that weekend, I immediately told them without, without hesitation exactly what was going on in my life. Hey, uh, I know that you don't care, but I'm adopting on Monday and we're going to have a daughter and it's going to be amazing. And uh, I wasn't giving them my name. I wasn't presenting them with any credentials. I just wanted them to hear about the most important and exciting news that was happening in my life right now. We're going to be parents. Now, the Apostle John, the writer of our letter, is getting to the point just like that in this letter, 1 John. Look, there's no fanfare. Uh, Let's get right down to it. I have something to say, and it's the only message worth hearing. You don't need to know my name. You don't need to know my story. I have a particular message, and I want you to hear it now. So let's look at that together. If you have your Bibles Uh, Would you turn with me to 1 John? We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4 this morning. And wherever wherever you are, if you're able uh, to stand with me to honor the reading of God's word, would you do that now? 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the word of the Lord may be seated. We have an elder apostle John writing this letter, writing it to his little children, likely to the church at Ephesus and those cities that would be surrounding it. When he wrote the gospel of John, his driving theme was found in John chapter 20, verse 31. Uh, Some of our students may remember us going through that last year. The driving theme of the gospel of John, but was this, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, the letter of 1 John is just a bit different. Here are the nuance we see in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13. A little different. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So... A little different audience. This letter, 1 John, is written to the Christian. There's an understanding that this is someone who does believe. It's written to the Christian for confidence and assurance, specifically in the text this morning. We see that fellowship and joy, 
will be powerful and practical realities in the life of a believer. So let's get into the text this morning by asking three questions. The first is this, who is Jesus? Again, verse one, if you're there with me. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. You see, this is John's message. And while he gets right to it, you and I need to see exactly who the author is. I want us to see for just a moment what the scriptures say about this man and we know as the Apostle John, he's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, as I've just mentioned. He wrote 2nd and 3rd John, and he also wrote what other book? Revelation. That's exactly right. And uh, that's why you might hear him sometimes referred to uh, in different circles as the John of Patmos. While he isn't mentioned in the Gospel of John directly, anybody know how he might be referred to in that Gospel? Yes, the one who Jesus loved. Jesus is beloved, the beloved disciple. He's, he's the one that is next to Jesus at the Last Supper, John 13, 23. He's, he's the one that's standing at the foot of the cross as Jesus is crucified. And it's here that Jesus entrusts John to care for his mother Mary, John 19. Verse 26, John, along with Peter, is one of the ones that sees the empty tomb on Easter morning, John chapter 20. And after Jesus is resurrected from the dead, John eats breakfast with Jesus by the sea, John chapter 21. So when John says to us, as we see in the text this morning, I've got a message for you. It's good for our ears to perk up. Who is Jesus? That's who John is speaking about from the get-go, that which was from the beginning. That's Jesus. John writes in his gospel account. Many of you are familiar with that verse, John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. Who's the word? Jesus. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything that was made. Now remember, John, in this letter, 1 John, is writing to the Christian. So just a refresher for us. Family, Jesus is eternally self-existent. He has not only existed before time was created, but Jesus has always existed into eternity past. He's always been there. He always will be. And that also means that Jesus is God. And John says that they've seen him. John has seen him and we've looked upon him. Now, the difference here is important. Okay. You say, Hey, it, we've seen somebody. We've looked at somebody. How is that any difference? I'll, I'll give you an example. A couple of weeks ago, Dory had pre-planning at the preschool that she works at a couple of days a week. And, uh, and so it was my responsibility to care for our four-year-old. Now, uh, Dory and I might have different understandings of exactly how that looks. Uh, so I was on my computer uh, studying for uh, this, that, that Sunday's message, and I didn't exactly know what Piper was doing, okay? Uh, she was being quiet, and that was all that really mattered in that moment, okay? And so she, she kind of pops up. Uh, from behind this chair at, at some point, and um, 
I look at her. I, I see her. Hang on. That's important. I see Piper. And uh, that's Piper. She's my daughter. I think those things real quickly. And then I keep going about my business. But then she says this, Dad, look. Okay, so uh, at that point, I know that something might be different. And uh, she says, I'm wearing makeup. So then I look at her. And it does not appear to be makeup. Uh, I said, Piper, wow, your makeup. Um, why do you have makeup on? She says, Dad, we're getting married. <laughs> Pretend. I said, oh, okay, uh, where did you get that makeup from? And uh, she, she hands me what appears to be Crayola watercolor paints. And it's smeared all over her face in the most beautiful fashion. And uh, I saw her and thought nothing much. But when I looked at her, when she said, Daddy, look, there was something new that I was doing. I looked at her. I inspected her. I investigated everything that was going on in that very moment. That's what John says about Jesus. Man, I not only saw him, but I've, I've looked at this man. I've been with this man. I've seen what he looks like. I've lived with him. I've investigated him. I've touched him. And listen, Jesus has not only come to show us eternal life, but to give it. Jesus, the word of life, the text says, was made manifest. We've seen it, John is saying. You can actually become a partaker in the divine life. And John, as we work through this letter over the next few months, is going to take us through seeing exactly what that looks like. What does it look like for me as a Christian to become a partaker in the divine life? What, is, what does it look like for me to to look at Jesus, to know him, to investigate him, to know everything about him. Who is Jesus? The text has already told us Jesus is preexistent. Jesus is God. Jesus lived an historical, physical life. Jesus was crucified on the cross. Jesus was resurrected on the third day. Jesus ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of the Father. Jesus has been made manifest to us so that we can know him and that we can experience the life that he has for us. While this letter is written to the Christian, it's certainly an appropriate time if you're listening and you're not a follower of Jesus to evaluate exactly what John is communicating. Lloyd-Jones added a word to C.S. Lewis's often quoted comment about who Jesus is, that Jesus can actually only be one of four things. He can either be a liar or a lunatic or legend or Lord. Who is Jesus? John says, Jesus is Lord, and I can attest to it. I've seen him. I've looked at him. Second, we see in the text, the answer to the question, what has he done? If this is, if this is Jesus, what has he done? Verse 3, look there in the text with me. It says this, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now, this idea, this really important idea of fellowship is going to get unpacked in the weeks to come. But upon a cursory reading, 
Are you picking up on the idea that fellowship might not exactly be what you and I, if you've been in the church for any length of time at all, might not be exactly what we think about it as? I, I, I don't mean to be crass when I ask this question, but do we really think that the father and son are getting together to hang out in fellowship with one another? Has John risked his very life so that you can eat a meal of fellowship together? Did, did Jesus give his very own life so that you can talk to his father in fellowship sometimes? We see here two types of fellowship in the text, one that is horizontal and another that is vertical. The first, in that first part of verse three, that which we have seen and heard, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. There is this idea of horizontal fellowship. The reason the gospel message is going forth is of importance to us. And if it's important to us, is it not worth sharing? If you can actually be a partaker of the divine life, if you can actually know who the eternal word of life is, is that message not worth sharing? And I'm telling you, the day that we received that phone call about our, our, our daughter-to-be and the days to come, I told every single person that I came into contact with what was going on in my life and how it was changing and how it had been changed. If Jesus is who he says he is, if there is a fellowship that he has afforded for us to experience together, then shouldn't we want others to walk in that very fellowship? Shouldn't that be something that is driving us as a believer, disciple of Jesus? Are you desirous that others could experience the relationship that you have with the Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit? Are you desirous that other people would have the relationship that you have and that you have been afforded to have? If not, if not, we may wonder, is the relationship that I think I have the one that I'm supposed to have? Because if you've been invited into the fellowship of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, there should be something that we are so desirous about to see other people have that relationship as well. Are you wanting others around this world to know that same fellowship? The gospel should be shared so that people would experience that forgiveness of sins. But it doesn't stop just there. In the gospel, there is to be deep unity among those who share in it. You see, Dory and I, as many of you know, and I've already explained to you this morning, man, we have this really big passion to talk to other people about adoption and the beauties that come alongside of it. And, and a part of our story is also one of the hardships of infertility. And so whenever we have the opportunity to share about either of those things, there is this unique bond that is automatically, uh, that happens automatically when we speak to other people about it. And, and there's, there's these conversations and these friendships that develop uh, around those common things and common goals because we're doing the same thing with other people and caring for people in those areas of life along the way. But there's nothing about those relationships 
those affinity relationships, those experience relationships that should ever be able to compare with the fellowship that you and I experience as Christians. Even those relationships that you and I could experience with believers on the other side of the world, if you, were and I were, if you and I were to have no language barrier with a brother who is today in China and we were to have a conversation, there is a deep fellowship that has been afforded you too in Christ Jesus that is like no other fellowship in this life. And if that's not something that you're experiencing, you might want to question, what is it? that I know about Jesus. What is it? Not only for one another, I'll get there in a second. So that is the horizontal fellowship. We also have a vertical fellowship, verse three, towards the end. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. You see, this relationship isn't only for one another, but it's also a deep fellowship with the Father because and through the Son, Jesus Christ. This eternal life isn't only a message of forgiveness of sins, which we communicate often and is a huge theme throughout the Bible, but it is also an invitation into fellowship with the Trinity. It's an invitation to the relationship between the Father and His Son. So who is Jesus? What has he done? And then finally, how do I live? Verse four. Verse four. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. Now, this is where John has been driving us to in the introduction. You have experienced the new birth if you're in Christ. You have as your new identity a fellowship with others and the Father and the Son that you couldn't have had before. And you couldn't have, you couldn't have got this or earned this fellowship on your own. And we are, verse 4 again, writing these things so that our joy may be complete or your joy may be complete. Our, collectively, our joy may be complete. I'm burdened for you, Christian. I'm burdened for us as a church that our collective joy may be complete. The Apostle John is writing to Christians, they know God. They know God. They, they know who Jesus is and what he's done. They know the fellowship that is theirs. And yet, John knows that there could be Christians that are walking around right now with less than complete joy. And so I just have to wonder, is that you, dear brother or sister? And you say, man, I've, I've been walking with Jesus for a long time in my life. I've participated in church for many years, but there seems to be something that is missing in the Christian life, at least the one that I'm walking. John writes this letter so that your joy may be complete. Your joy may be complete. Jesus prayed that you would have this joy in John 15, 11. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full, he says. In John 16, 24, he says, ask and you will receive that your joy again may be full. Is your joy full? I wonder if it's complete. But before I ask too many questions about your experience of it, what is it? 
What is the joy that the Apostle John here is referring to? If you and I were to begin explaining joy, perhaps we would say something about being lighthearted or some enjoyable feeling. Maybe we would say cheerful, that man, that person is always so cheerful. He is, he's joyful. I, I like how one pastor put it. When we think about the word joy, let's not go straight to the dictionary, but first let's go to the Bible and see how the Bible confirms it and defines what joy should exactly look like. You see, joy must not be defined by things outside of what we see in Jesus himself. Isn't Jesus the model for what joy is to look like in our life? So again, what is joy? And I want you to hear this because right now our world seems like it is upside down. I saw this meme earlier this week, as you probably have seen many memes this week also, this particular meme, uh, it said 2020, and then it looked like a Yelp review uh, where there's a possibility of five stars and there's just one star, you know? Somebody, I told somebody else that and they're like, it should have had a half a star, okay? Our, our world is completely upside down or seems to be at this moment. Man, I can't speak to every single one of your situations at this moment. But many of you students have begun a school year that you never in all of your years on this planet Earth, imagine to be starting. Jobs are in limbo. Parents are trying to figure out new routines. How are we gonna accomplish all of this at the same time? The list can go on and on. Christian, joy, complete, full joy can be had in the midst of any of your circumstances. So it doesn't matter exactly if I, can, if I can peg what you're going through. The Bible is sure that for the Christian, their joy can be complete no matter what you're experiencing. Jesus, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, he was full of constant joy. So what is it? Well, as one commentator put it, joy is never something immediate and direct. It's not something that you can produce in yourself. It's not something that you can conjure up. You can't make yourself joyful. Man, I need that word because I often fool myself into thinking that as long as the desk where I'm writing in that moment is clean, then I can have some semblance of joy. If the house is clean, I can have some semblance of joy. If situations and circumstances are working out perfectly or the way that I intend them to be in my life, then, then, and only then can I have joy. Anybody else feel the same way at times? And I need to hear that. I can have joy at any time and any circumstance. Why? Because joy comes from something else. It's not my definition, but joy is the result of interactions of various forces and factors playing upon your soul. If you'll let me quote from Lloyd-Jones again, I think he's extremely helpful. The first element of joy is a state of complete satisfaction. That's the first element of joy, that your mind and emotions and desires are all coming together, working together at the same exact time and are full. The first element of joy is a state of complete satisfaction. The second is this spirit of exaltation. While we're always throwing around this tension between happiness and joy, 
Joy may not look experientially happy. It should be seen as more positive than even happiness. You see, when Cyrus is playing with one of his toys on the floor, he can just be content. I can look at him and I say, man, that, that kid is happy. He's, he's smiling and it looks like he just is having a good old time. But I tell you what, if I bring him one of his sister's toys and I show him, said, here you go, Cyrus, all of a sudden, Everything in his being lights up like he is a changed man. I get to play with one of my sister's toys. Joy is exulting and active. It's rejoicing. Third, joy is always a feeling of power and strength. Joy means that you're afraid of nothing. If the, if the Lord is strong and power and mighty, then he's your strength and joy is a result. If the state... If joy is that state where my mind and emotions and desires join and are all satisfied together, then what is it that can bring this true joy? Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is the mind satisfaction. Jesus is your emotions satisfaction. Jesus is the satisfaction of your desires. So you've been waiting. What is joy? It is the response and the reaction of the soul to a knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that joy is to be complete. More literally in the text, your joy is to be filled full, Christian. Christian, if the coronavirus never lets up, if our church has to meet underground, if political tensions grow worse, if racial divides continue, if the world goes to war, if your pain in your body never ceases or eases, if your financial situation never improves, if you never get a girlfriend, whatever it is, whatever it is, your joy can and should remain full. We'll begin seeing next week why you might not have complete joy. Why is it that my joy isn't full as a believer? We'll see that in the text, but right now, Christian, know this, that your joy can be complete. It can be, and that's the blessing of fellowship with the Father and Son. It comes from outside. It's not dependent on circumstances, but on the life that was made manifest on this earth, and that life is Jesus. It's found in the person and work of Jesus. And we're going to flesh that out again in the weeks to come. But the question is this, do you know him? Do you know him? That filled to the brim kind of joy is not just for those happy-go-lucky types like me. It's not just for people like me. And I'm not the only person that can experience joy. You don't have to be smiling all the time to experience the joy that is yours in Christ Jesus. It's not just for those who have their life perfectly mapped out and it seems to be every time working out for them. It's not just for them. It's not just for those students that you look at and you say, man, every time they're making good grades and they didn't even have to study, mom. It's not just for them. It's not just for those who have no mental issues. It's, it's not even just for those who seem to have a designer family. That joy, Christian, is yours to have, to be filled to the brim, to be filled up, to be complete in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have given us just a, a cursory look at what this letter 
that you have preserved throughout the ages for us has to tell us about the fellowship that is ours in Christ Jesus. Father, we thank you that you have, by no effort or means of our own, have invited us in, sinners, to experience the fellowship between you and the Son. Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ's very own sacrifice on the cross that was good, that was enough to pay the penalty, to absorb your wrath for any and all the sin of any who would believe. And Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters in here this morning. As the Apostle John writes to the Christian I pray for those in our very family that would say, and maybe it's most of us, maybe it's all of us here today, say, I've trusted in Christ Jesus by faith. I know that these things are mine. I know that I have fellowship with you, God. I know that I've been invited into the family. I know that pastors for many years have said I should be experiencing joy, but it's just not complete. It's not full. I pray for my brother and sister this morning that they may experience that in the person and work of Christ Jesus today. That you would help us over the weeks and months to come to see exactly why it is that we might not be experiencing it, to see how we might be quenching your very own Holy Spirit in our lives. Father, I pray. Help us as your people to walk in joy today. We love you. It's in Christ Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.